My name is Susie Can, and I hope you enjoy exploring with me the thoughts that come with this thread. If you have any interest in supporting what I'm doing or getting in touch, please do so through the website kylak.ie, where you will also find other resources and connections that I create around each podcast so that if some of the tweaks of interest come to you through them, you have a place to go to go a little further and deeper or to find other information or to find a way to support by maybe wanting to collaborate or offer something or even a donation. Thanks for listening. As I start looking back for understanding of the wider context of my childhood in Northern Ireland, I'm struck by how much I have integrated and understood in the years that came after. I think that I'll talk about my move to the South a little later, but before I go on to that point in my life, I'm trying to gather my thoughts about what it was like from the perception of the child that I was when I was still in the North and understanding the politics and the context and the society that I had around me from the point of view of the lens of that child. The first incident that I can remember began to bring my awareness to the fact that there was an issue, a conflict, a division in Northern Irish society, I think was when I was around eight. I don't know what provoked it, but I remember having this really strong impulse to get home and ask my parents, what religion was I? So somewhere in me, I had figured out it was very important to know that. In the context I was growing up in, there was huge religious and political division in Northern Ireland. The other element that fed into this thinking was the daily reports on the news about the conflict in Northern Ireland at the time I was coming to an age where I might pay attention. But I think the thing that interests me looking back is how much of that went in by osmosis, so that I could reflect on it later when I was older, but at the time it was simply my context, it was what was all around me. I didn't like the news. We used to have children's programs on television just at a certain time of day, I think, after we'd come home from school and done our homework. We could sit down probably around 4.30 in the afternoon and watch BBC children's programs. My mother used to joke that she knew when the children's programs had finished and the news had started because we would have started bickering and fighting as my with my siblings. I can remember thinking the news is not for me, it's for adults and I'm bored by it. And yet, when I really try to bring my visual imagination back I absolutely remember the images of the news and the reports of bombings and the reports of violence 
and angry people. I think that was the impression. And then uh, the other part that was seeping in to let me know that there was context was particularly when we went to Belfast, which was our nearest town for big shops. So Bangor, when I was a child in the north, was relatively small seaside town. And when we wanted to get school uniforms or I think other kinds of, of shopping, we went up to Belfast. As a child, that's an adventure. You're going into a big town or big city for us. And when we would go, part of that adventure were all of the security checks. The funny thing is they didn't intimidate. They didn't frighten. They didn't have meaning to me, really. They were a moment where an adult paid attention to a child in a strange way. We went through barriers to go and shop on certain streets. And when we went into a big shop, there were security guards at the door and they would frisk you. As a small child, you would put your arms out and they would frisk you in case you were carrying a bomb. And on at least one occasion, we were cleared out of a shop. So there was an announcement, everybody should leave the shop. There was a septic device and possible bomb in the shop. And so we've all filed out and crossed the road and stood in groups. And I remember my mother just having a sense of irritation. Again, not really aware or seemingly unaware of fear of danger, but more this sort of daily account. And so there's a bomb scare. I do remember more feeling of drama or fright when in Bangor during my childhood there were two bombs. They happened at night in Woolworths. Our house was a couple of miles away from the main street in Bangor where that happened. And I remember my windows rattled from the explosion. But it wasn't talked about. I heard it had happened. I am almost certain the adults around me may have talked about it or seen it on the news and discussed it. And yet, I think they assumed that we were oblivious and they didn't sit us down as children and say, so this is what happened. Maybe we participated in some conversation about it, but I don't recall that. It was more about what was happening around me and less about a discussion or a explanation, including when I came home from school asking what religion I was. I think my parents were taken aback by the question and answered me, but didn't get into why was I asking that. And so when I got the answer that we were Protestant, I didn't really understand what that meant. I certainly didn't understand what that meant in the context of Northern Ireland. The family names of my ancestors on my mother's side were Scottish. It's only recently that my parents are talking more and more about their ancestors. My father's side were Northern Irish, Neils, which is connected to O'Neill, as far as they understand. All of them clans people and many of them migrants and fleeing and part of many battles for control and power over centuries. In Scotland, some of them fled from persecution and murders. I think others must have come in later waves. I think they left quite early in Scotland before there was 
land grants and settlements being made in Northern Ireland to some of the Scottish clans. And the Neils were part of the clans in Ulster who were eventually annihilated because they were part of resistance against British queens. And this is the thing about Northern Ireland. You could read and read and read and you would not understand all of the complexities. But when I was growing up, what I understood very little of was that the Protestants were the ruling, power-holding community in Northern Ireland and loyal to and wishing to remain part of the British United Kingdom. Even though their allegiances, if you look back through their ancestors, they switched back and forth, um, some of them being part of Jacobite rebellions of trying to change the rule in Scotland to Catholic kings. There's people who fled from persecution and there's people who resisted occupation by Britain, all within my family lines. But by the time I came along, they were Protestant, Methodist and Church of Ireland. My grandparents and great-grandparents had all worked their way economically up in the world. They had been bakers and farm labourers. On one side of the family, there were people who'd owned boat, had transported goods in and out of Northern Ireland and then subsequently owned more than one boat and ended up in shipping, bringing coal into new industry in Northern Ireland. And on the other side, they had eventually built up into one of the biggest bakeries in Belfast of a whole family on my grandmother's side. So there were these lineages and yet I was living in a time where my parents had access to a life of relative quiet in Northern Ireland. We were not living on streets of Belfast or Derry on the edges of where the communities were embattled. And why they were embattled at the time when I was young is also a whole complex history. Trying to explain it, it's very difficult, even though I've tried to understand it um, for much of my life, particularly because of the contrast when I left Northern Ireland and came to the South and suddenly had whole new perspectives, which I'll talk about. Try to understand this this complex history and who were in power and who were excluded and who were politically opposed at a stage that appears to the rest of the world to be about religion. Um, and yet religion was really part of the weaponry. There was a greater emphasis really on the politics of power and economic access. There were huge industries that grew up in Northern Ireland that were primarily controlled by Protestant families linen industries and shipbuilding industries. And so there was relationship between economics and power and who was not having an equal citizenship. And that was the Catholic communities. And they looked to this idea of uniting with the South, which had been the, the reason for this conflict goes all the way back to partition and to a civil war in Ireland. There's a lot of people who could talk better about that in terms of accuracy or attempts at accuracy for the history of Northern Ireland. But what I will say is when I was growing up, my father had done an apprenticeship in Schwartz, which was the aircraft building industry right beside the shipbuilding in Northern Ireland in Belfast and had gone to tech at night and had 
done his engineering qualifications, and by the time I was aware of anything in the world, he he was a salesperson traveling around Ireland selling engineering goods. And my mother had trained as a nurse in Belfast, London. She had been uh, um, looking after children, and then she trained as a nurse, and then we'd come along. And so they lived a perhaps upwardly mobile, I think might be the term, life where they were trying to restore a house and build up a life for us in Bangor. And so when I was aware of these things, they were on the periphery. So if there were these things on the news and these bombs in Bangor where people were not hurt, they went off at night, I wasn't under a, a direct feeling of threat or a direct feeling of conflict that related to this political and divided community situation. And yet there it was, under the surface, and I used that word osmosis, something was getting under my skin, something was influencing my views in a very unconscious bias, sort of a building blocks of viewpoints. I have feelings of wondering, where did I get these ideas? They weren't being said overtly and openly in my own home that I can remember. I can't pinpoint that my mother or father were saying things. And yet I started to gain impressions and prejudices. I started to have these views that there was something about Catholic households. They were bigger. There were, there were bigger numbers of children and somehow that was not okay. There was something the adults somehow communicated that they looked down on that. I didn't understand why or what even that could mean. There was definitely a permeated idea that Catholic families were not as clean our families or Protestant families which is something that I laugh at now because I am certainly not the house-proud, focused-on-cleanliness kind of a housekeeper or, or later mother. I remember that there was this beginning growing sense of other, that there was an otherness about some people and that something about them was to be feared or looked down on. And I was a very little child. And that was somehow seeping in. And so I might look at someone and if they had, I don't know, a little bit of disheveled clothing, which was probably exactly what I had. I had very little regard to how I looked or whether I was neat and tidy, much to my mother's chagrin, I think. I would think, I wonder, is that person a Catholic? I didn't know what that would even really mean, but I would wonder. And I have memories of my grandmother showing a photograph album and my mother's mother um, wouldn't have talked about these sorts of things to my recollection. But my grandmother on my father's side would be leafing through something and then she would say, oh yes, that person, they were very nice. They were an RC, you know. Of course, I, I was barely able to figure out that that meant Roman Catholic. So this sort of hushed tone that you mentioned that somebody was a Catholic. These things communicate something to a child, some pervaded sense of other, even though I don't have memories of my parents saying, 
something negative. My father was regularly traveling as a salesman into the South, all over the South, in fact, and knew it very well. Things that he's told me much later was some of the things that stood out for him as he traveled around and chatted to people in the South was that he was an adult and he'd been taught a particular history in Northern Ireland in the schools. He and we, as we were children, were being taught British history from the point of view of England. And what we learned about were kings and queens. And we didn't learn anything about Irish history at all in the North. And my father didn't learn that either. And he said to me once that he was ashamed to to discover as an adult man uh, that there had been a civil war in Ireland because none of his education, none of the conversation had told him that. And we certainly weren't being taught that in school in terms of the history that we did. No, it was all unrelated to the land in which we were living. And the other things that then led to my parents deciding that they didn't want to stay in the North had to do with that some of these attitudes had to do with what they thought would be better opportunities for their children in terms of education in the North. And I've already talked about some of my experiences in education in the North really coming a lot from my inability to fit in and be educated in the main thrust of the model of education that was that I was part of. They were thinking of broadening things, in particular in broadening our minds. There was also an incident that my father changes a bit in times that I've spoken to him about this much later as to how big an influence it was on their decision to leave the North. I think I asked him when I was a teenager, why did we leave? And at this time, he told this story through one lens. And then I asked him again recently, and he told it through a different lens. So it's interesting how we revise or adapt our memories from the perspective we're looking at them. I'm sure if I look at this again, I might, when I'm older, I might have new insights and new perspectives and also new ways I wish to tell the narrative the way we like to have a particular narrative that fits with our worldview of the time. My dad sailed another privileged kind of middle-class Protestant activity in Bangor was the sailing that happened in the bay. And my father, at different times, his father owned or co-owned boats and my father did the same. And he sailed out of two different yacht clubs that were on the bay. And as children, we also got to sail and learn how to sail in dinghies. I have one very strong memory of being out in a, in a dinghy and having a crew person. I think it might have been the very first time I ever took any hint of saying something in a leadership sort of a way to someone else because I was generally very timid and quiet and didn't assert myself in any way and were out on the bay in a little dinghy and my crew member 
panicked because we we turned the boat around, but we didn't get all the way around, which is tacking, and the wind didn't fill our sails again. And then as we did that, a part of the bottom of the sail came loose and we kind of swung about a bit madly in the, and then the wind was catching the sail. And this we were probably 10 years of age and he panicked and started saying all these things in a panic that he, he had obviously been nervous about coming out sailing. I think it might have been the first time he'd come out in the dinghy with me as my crew. And I don't think I helmed all that often. I think I was often crew for my sister. And he started saying, I had a dream last night that we died and that I drowned and we're going to drown and we're going to die. And he was terribly panicked. And I took control, I suppose, of that crisis and and like strongly shouted and, and told him what we were going to do to solve our flapping about. And I, I gave him the helm of the boat and told him to turn it to wind and really like had to kind of shout at him to get him to do it. And we turned into the wind and then all the momentum and like lashing about of the boat at that moment stopped and just the sail flapped and I retied it to the mast and we set off again. So sailing was part of my life too as a child, but it was very much part of my dad's life. And we would go down and watch him from the rocks that we loved to climb about in the bay and uh, just below something called the battery, which was just the most adventurous thing for us children, which was a little building that sat up on the rocks in the bay and fired guns that started the races out in the bay. So my father would be out in a yacht between us and, and marks that could be seen floating and we would hide underneath the battery, as it was called, on the rocks below. And what we loved to do was the shells of these little cannon-type things that were were fired as starter guns, but they had a quite big shell that came out of them, and the shell would fall down the wall in front of the battery and onto the rocks where we would sneak around. And we loved to sniff them. We liked the smell of the gun burnt gunpowder. I'm sure if I ever came across one of that smell again, I w- it would bring me right back to those rocks and watching my father out in the bay. So one of the things that happened is that he was sailing with a good friend regularly and they would ring each other up often from work in their workplaces. Both of them were working in Belfast across the city from each other, not terribly far and they would make arrangements for their sailing in the evening. And so my father told me this story that we were completely unaware of when it happened. I have no recollection of it being discussed or talked about. I imagine it was very deliberately hidden from us when we were children. But my father was on the phone to his friend, and his friend was uh, a mix of religions. He was Protestant and also had... Jewish in him. And he worked with a Catholic business partner. And that sort of thing was being targeted, but also random places in Belfast, especially on edges of communities, were being targeted. It's hard to know exactly what might have been behind what happened. But my dad was on the phone to his friend and they were discussing their sailing. And his friend said to him, there's a funny car in the yard outside his office. There's something odd about it. I think 
I'll call you back. And so he hung up and my father then just moments later heard an explosion across Belfast. So he found out that his friend had gone out and had been caught in a bomb blast from this car. He rather miraculously survived the bomb blast, apparently, and my father being an engineer and being very interested in physics and physical forces and so on, explained to me when I was a teenager that very carefully that the reason that his friend had survived was because he was in a strange sweet spot when he had walked out to look at the car. Had he been a bit further away or a bit closer to the car, he would have most certainly died. But where he was, the force of the blast was under the car and it first went down into the ground and then back up and essentially went up and over him, not catching him as forcefully in the blast. He did have a lot of shrapnel and he was in hospital and he had to recover, but he, he wasn't killed in the blast. So as I said, my father, when he was when I was a teenager, told me that that was a catalyst to them thinking about going south. But when I asked him again now in his older years, he and my mother both denied that and said, no, 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 it was, it was to give you better education. It was to give you better opportunities. It was other reasons. But obviously I can imagine that the environment in which their children were growing up and the kinds of questions we were coming home with and their concerns about that obviously were playing all into it in the mix in order for us to have what they imagined to be a better life a better life than what really was for us children a seemingly very good life. This life in the north where we lived, this the sailing, the feeling of a fairly safe town. It is these other deeper questions of identity and opportunity through the lens of my parents as young parents of quite a young family deciding where they would raise us. I think the other thing that influenced them and then by its actions in the world influenced us was that my parents really loved to travel. They had a travel bug that I retain and I see it coming through in my children. They really liked to experience other cultures. My father particularly loved France and had learned to speak a certain amount of French and we had taken adventurous holidays to France. In those years, I think we went to France uh, maybe four or five times camping and we encountered other people from other cultures. And the other place where we encountered other people was through the Camp Hill communities that we were involved with through my grandmother and my uncle who lived in Camp Hill in the north. And I think those things influenced my parents' worldview very much that they had something that was broader than the very intense and somewhat insular worldviews that were going on in the North in those years. What had started to happen really was the, the shift in the power base and the shift in the acceptance of what had, had gone on in years since the Civil War in Ireland, since the partition of Northern Ireland and since the exclusion of the access to economic well-being of the Catholic communities. 
who then started looking south and saying, we're not getting our rights here. And and I don't think that the initial movements that if you look back and watch and read, you know, things of the time, the initial movements in the time when I was born in the 60s that were coming into the, the hottest period of what was known euphemistically as the Troubles when I was 9, 10, 11 was about rights and civil rights and inspired, in fact, by the civil rights movements of the same era in America, communities protesting about the kind of exclusion that they experienced in society. But as I said, I didn't understand those things when I was a child. I simply lived in this atmosphere and in this context of bringing in prejudices to my mind that they still kind of stand a chill, I think, to me, because I think we're at a time when we know that it is possible for people to develop huge divides in the world. I'm recording this in a time when people have looked to many countries in the Western world that they thought to be pluralistic and tolerant and inclusive at least in religious terms, maybe not in, as I've talked about elsewhere, in terms of who is allowed enter in to a mainstream, who has access to economic well-being in terms of food and shelter and the same kinds of leisure activities like my father would have had. There's many people excluded from that still in the, in the West and in the world economically increasing understanding of what othering is about, what institutionalized racism is, what divided political views can do, and what recently happened in in, in the States in terms of the extreme polarization and where that led to unrest and division. So when I'm looking out at the world, I think that my childhood in Northern Ireland and my grappling with trying to understand it as I moved south and went into my adolescence has informed hugely my understanding of how easy it is for people to other someone, how easy it is for children to pick up prejudices that their parents don't believe or don't wish them to pick up, but that are around them culturally and in schools and in adult conversations and just scathing remarks and looks and nuance so that I could at that 10, 11 year old's age have so many of them permeate somewhere inside me quite deep away from my conscious mind. And so just to bridge this to where I'll go in the next episode in my exploring of my identity, I'll just move us slightly into the first couple of months and year in the South once we did move. My parents must have sat us down and said, we're going to move. I don't think I remember that conversation, but I remember the beginning preparations and the idea that we were moving to the South coming into my mind very strongly. And the biggest thing that I remember, and this is the evidence of how much had permeated my little child's mind, I remember being very afraid. I didn't know that I knew any Catholics because we had been trained in some way to try and pick out someone who was Catholic without asking the question, without saying, are you Catholic? 
somewhere in there, there was some strange training about how a person spoke. There's a lot of jokes about this, about how a person said the alphabet, because there were nuances in language and accent that indicated somebody was from a Catholic community. And somehow I, I knew all about this, and I could pick out Catholics, at least I thought I could. I didn't know whether I knew Catholics well or not. It wasn't talked about. But in my mind, when I heard we were moving to the South, my first fear was that that was where the Catholics lived and that everyone would know that I was a Protestant because everybody always knew what religion each other was in the North. That had become evident to me. And I had this kind of image in my mind, a fear-based image of another form of bullying. I was being bullied in forms in school for being different and odd in my personality. But I, I had this very clear image in my mind of and being up against a wall and being asked by these children around me what religion I was. And then when I answered that I was Protestant, I was beaten up by these other children. And that image and that fear pervaded so much that I was trying to imagine how might I pass as a Catholic? What could I do? What did I need to learn so that I could try and pass? And so that is another form of my impulse to fit in, being very, very strong. Strangely, though, by the time we did actually move, a lot of that had disappeared. I think what happened was we went south on holidays before that, and somehow I hadn't paid attention to that. I'd maybe conjured up a separate image from the fact that we'd actually holidayed. We'd holidayed in, in Kerry. We'd holidayed lots in Donegal. We used to go to a favoured campsite, and we had also done the same all over the south. And then we also started to go south and look for houses. So we would go and look to buy a house so with my parents, the different houses they were trying to buy in the South. And so I guess I'd begun to realize that that was a secret fear that wasn't going to be based necessarily on a reality of what would happen to me. But it's funny how I wouldn't have told anyone that I feared that. So it just sort of had its own power and stayed within my mind. And the other thing that happened was in that first few months when we did move South, this identity, this change was everything about what I was trying to grapple with as I tried to adjust to our new lives in South County Dublin. My parents very much wanted us to go to what they considered to be a school that would give us these opportunities they imagined and they bent over backwards really to afford to send us to a fee-paying girls' school. But they chose to send us to one that was interdenominational, so 50% Catholic, 50% Protestant. And it was there and in my neighborhood that I immediately started to very clearly encounter Catholics. And one of the things that I did, this was first year in school, so I was 12, 13 years old, was have my very first boyfriend. And it was very young girl, boy, holding hands, kissing, simple kind of uh, attempt at girlfriend, boyfriend life at that age. And he was Catholic and he had a very Catholic name. And I think, I feel like it was almost a ripple of the choice my parents had made that was confronting them in a way. And 
sometimes I think my parents were very open and happy with that. And other times I think it really pushed their prejudice buttons and their bias buttons because I remember we we were allowed to go to discos in church halls at that age. And some of them were Catholic church halls, halls and some of them were Protestant church halls. And one time when I was in that year, and I might not have been still going out with my first Catholic boyfriend, I might not have had, I don't think that lasted for very long. I went to a Protestant church disco and, and my mother said as I was going, oh, glad you're going to a good Protestant disco for a change. So something in her about us mixing with Catholics was hard at the beginning. She'd laugh at that now after living for so many years in the South. And for me, it was all about the new and the different and the interesting. And so the idea that there were Catholics everywhere and I could talk to them and I could go out with them and I could find out what was all this stuff that we couldn't talk about in the North. So one of the things that I used to do in that first year was that our school did go to church fairly regularly on different Christian holiday, holy day things for to the Catholic or the Protestant church. And nobody asked me what religion I was. So I would always go to the Catholic church, not the Protestant one, because I was couldn't believe I was going to be able to go inside a Catholic church. Somehow that was taboo and imagined, again, some of these weird prejudices that I have no idea who said these. I, I don't know how to identify where I got these impressions, but some of the pervasive kind of, of deep prejudices that pervade all over the world when some group has been othered. These kind of crazy notions exist and, and are perpetuated. So like we had been, some were told the host, the bread that is given in Catholic communion was made from the blood of Protestant children's babies. And I, I years later heard that same prejudice stated by Christians about Jewish people, that something was made from the blood of Christian babies. So there's these horrible stories that somehow I had heard somewhere. So they were completely overturned with the most sort of sense of thrill. I, I knew again, like these things go in deeply and you know at a, con at a conscious level, you know they're not true, but somehow they're in there as weird fears that you wouldn't name and say to anyone. So off I would go to the Catholic Mass and I would be like freaking out at the first couple of times that I'd be discovered or someone would realize I wasn't a Catholic and I didn't know what to do or how to follow the sequence of services. I didn't know when to stand up and sit down like other people did or how you knelt to pray. And so I'd kind of watch. And I certainly didn't know the Catholic prayers, the Hail Mary. And the Our Father was said slightly differently too. Again, one of the ways you could find out who was Protestant Catholic in the North. I would just mimic and watch and become very vigilant and pay attention to who was getting up and down. And I'd mumble the Hail Mary and learn it slowly by rote because I went often enough. And there's one last thing that shows the impact on a child of, of growing up in that environment, even when not at, in the hot of it, not experience the direct violence, not experiencing exclusion, not experiencing oppression in any kind of a direct way. And yet they're just being on the news and in the conversations. When I first 
lived in our house, our new house in the South. Strange fear that, again, I'd have been deeply ashamed to admit it, but I, this was coming out in a behavior. It's a kind of common phenomenon that children act out their emotions and their fears. And I had a bedroom with, well, as I recall it, quite big bedroom window. And at night, when it was dark, I couldn't bear the idea of being backlit against a window in a bedroom. And the reason I couldn't bear that was that I somehow imagined snipers. I imagined that if somebody wanted to shoot me, I'd be easier and more visible to see if I had my bedroom light on and was backlit to a dark window. And so every night, probably for that first year, I don't really know how long this went on for, I would go into my bedroom low, I would reach up from the floor and just with my hand switch on the light and then I would remain low and I would crawl across the bedroom floor to underneath my curtains and from down there I would pull my curtains shut and only then would I stand up in my bedroom. Affected my life and the context I'd grown up in in Northern Ireland and all these views that had bandied about around me when I started forming friendships in the South. And I had notions about my understanding of the politics of Northern Ireland. I had notions about who I thought were the bad guys and who I thought were the good guys. And it was probably at just about that basic a level. And so the IRA were the bad guys because they were bombing. I knew nothing about sectarian violence and other terrorist and armed forces from the Protestant side at that time in my life. So the IRA were the bad guys and the British and the British Army, who I had seen regularly on the streets of Belfast and soldiers we would have smiled at, they were the good guys. And I think I also would have thought that the police were the good guys. And again, I knew nothing about the oppressions and the prejudices and the things that have come to light in inquiries in recent years. I didn't understand anything of that. It was very black and white for me. And I believed in British propaganda that the British was a great nation, that it was something to be proud of. And at some point in the South, in the back of the car one day, I don't know what was being discussed, but I said to my parents, but I'm proud to be British, very forcefully. And my mother turned to me and said, why on earth would you be? Which is, when I think of my mum now, it's actually surprising that that was her reaction. It was her reaction in the context, presumably, of those times and what she saw happening in Northern Ireland. And it gives me some insight into what it was like as a woman, as a mother, thinking about protecting your children. And that other part that goes beyond maybe the idea of better education or economic opportunity in the South. This idea that a mum would want to protect her child, there was something in that statement, in, in something of the bitterness of it. And I do know there was one other memory that kind of connects to perhaps my mother's experience and choices, is that this stood out to me, really, really influenced me, and yet was years before I remembered it fully again, was that at the time in Northern Ireland, as a result, 
actually an accidental killing of a child by a British army jeep in the midst of a chase, I think. It went off the road and crashed into a child. And that moment catalyzed what were called the peace people. And the peace people were women. And they were some of the community organizers and leaders that were active in Belfast at the time, Bernadette Michaliski and other women leaders. And they started hosting and holding peace rallies all over the North. And it was women who would come and demand that things change and that no more children died from any community and no more people died. And my mum took me to one of those rallies when I was about 11, a few years before we left the North. And we stood in Ward Park in Bangor and these fierce women gave their speeches. I felt bored at the time. I think I felt I didn't understand it. But something of that fervor and something of that power definitely sent a, a seed, a trickle, uh, a nuance, something counter to maybe the prejudices I had been developing, something that told me there was some other way and there was power in women. All these things somehow went in. I have a, a friend who um, we knew through Woofing, which is Willing Workers on Organic Farms, a young woman from the Czech Republic. We got to visit her in the Czech Republic with my family on one of our travel adventures. And she gave us a tour of Prague and she told us her story of also being 11 and being brought by her mother and the collapse of the Soviet Union to hear Vaclav Havel speak in Wenceslas Square, I think. It's an interesting thing. She, you know, she said that her mother said, you won't understand this now, why I've brought you here today. But something very important is happening in our history. And I want you to say you were there. And when she told me that story, I was thinking back why my mother went there and how I was there at a moment where some of the seeds of the women's activities in community began to move Northern Ireland towards a peace. But I hadn't really got there yet in that first year in the South. I was still coming out with a statement like, I'm proud to be British. And when I was in first year, the biggest thing that happened then as I grappled with my identity and tried to understand my good and bad analysis was that the hunger strikers started in Northern Ireland. And these men in the H-block prisons, in the Mays prison, started to go on hunger strike. And at the time, Margaret Thatcher was in power in Britain. And this awful period in Northern Irish history occurred. And the force, the kind of battle on of people taking that step to go on hunger strike and to do what were called the dirty protests. They stopped using the toilet, wearing blankets only and, and dying. And one by one, Margaret Thatcher tried to forcibly have them forcibly fed, all sorts of things. And one by one, they started to die. And my new friends in my new school in the South, who were, this was South County Dublin, this was definitely the move, the upwardly mobile move my parents wanted. They were children of middle class Protestant and Catholic families in the south suburb of Dublin and these strong views about the north and Protestant and Catholic alike were doing things 
like wearing an armband, a black armband, when one of the hunger strikers died. And I was grappling so hard with trying to hold on to my black and white view, which was that they, their fault they were dying. It wasn't oppression. It wasn't anybody else's fault. And they were dying and they were the bad men, weren't they? They were the IRA. They were not the good guys. And I had some intense debates and one like really screaming fight that became very funny when you, when I think about it from a perspective of if I was a fly on the wall watching these two 12 or 13 year old girls in a nice school in Dublin screaming at each other about Northern Ireland and so much so that we stood up on chairs in order to <laughs> mount our height of derision for each other. And my main screaming was that you don't know, you're not from there, you can't know. And those are bad men. And my friend wearing her black armband, trying to begin to tell me something of the context of Irish history and the seeds of that oppression and all of this. And I, I couldn't hear it really at that time at all. And when we began to have history lessons in that first year. At least two of my teachers in that school were very Republican in the sense of the Irish Republic views and they 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 taught from that lens and it was just confronting me that how could all these adults that I had somehow taken information in from be wrong and how could this other view be right and would and I think for a while I just swung completely into becoming a the other side and going, okay I'm like a new convert. I'm going to take on all of these new views and say, I've, this is terrible. And then I think I started being very argumentative at home and confronting my parents and my sisters with these views and just really trying to grapple with my own identity. But I think the thing that stayed and that lasted isn't a sense as now I'm an adult of any kind of an absolute right or wrong. I think the thing that stayed was the understanding of prejudice, the understanding of othering, the understanding of one country's view on a conflict versus another country's view, and the uh, and this difficult place of remaining in the grey, remaining in the subtlety of trying to understand facts and trying to understand the times and the worldviews of the peoples that lived through them and not having absolutes and not knowing absolute right from wrong in the sense of those are the people on the bad side, those are the people on the good side. And it's the lens through which I look at all conflicts and all positions of prejudice. And I understand a lot more about who and how the powerful operate, how the control of an economic system as the Protestants really did and and political system and police system um, and army system and what that does to a minority and how that pervades the world all over. So those are some of the wider influences in the context that I grew up in. And next time I'll maybe talk about the things that began to blossom in me as a child as I had this other opportunity and new environment in which to explore. I think one thing that from those stories that had begun to happen is I'd begun to find my voice. The very quiet child of Northern Ireland had started to speak and in some cases started to really yell. <laughs>